0: So Saul is anointed king. There are some people that don't want him to be king. Basically, Saul goes back to his farm and continues farming. And then he hears that this city that we said, Jabesh-Gilead, which has a very interesting history, which we just talked about, Jabesh-Gilead is being attacked by the Amorites. They're saying, basically, the Amorites are going to go in, they're going to take out every man's right eye. Very grisly season of time, period. Uh, So Saul hears about this, and it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And what does he do? He's plowing out in the field. He takes his ox. He cuts it into 12 pieces. Where have we just heard that story? And he sends it to all the tribes of Israel, essentially meaning if you don't come here, this is what's going to happen to you. Saul gets the 12 tribes of Israel together with him and goes up. And now basically, anyone have an idea of why this specific town might be of importance to Saul? One of his, one of his ancestors might have come from Javish Gilead, right? This, this was the place where they went and wiped all the people out. They took the women from there. It's very possible his grandmother, great-grandmother was from Jabesh Gilead so suddenly this is his ancestry. Saul is you know very angry about this cuts up the animal uh, and goes and he destroys the armies and suddenly now he is the king everyone wants. So he comes back and he is supposed to now he's back here in, in this area and the Philistines are attacking. Now, the Philistines were over here. Remember, the tribe of Dan was supposed to defeat the Philistines and live in the Tel Aviv region. And they said, no, that's they're, they're too tough for us. They have chariots. We're going to actually go up here. So the Philistines now, who occupy this area, are for some reason all the way over on the other side in the hill country. And they are now taking over, and they, they're sending raiding parties into Israel. Israel wanted a king, someone to protect them from the raiders. These raiding parties, they, were, they would overwhelm your village. They would steal all your cattle. They might kill you. They might not. But they would certainly take all your stuff. And they would then take it back to their hometown as booty, as spoil. This was just the way people lived. It was a predatory uh, society. So Saul now is back here. So now everyone wants him king. He's got one big victory under his belt. And the Philistines now are coming to attack them. The Philistines have made sure there are no swords in Israel. They've taken all the blacksmiths away. So only Saul and Jonathan have a sword. Gives you some idea of what's happening. Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to offer a sacrifice. 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 8, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. You may have on, on your maps, you'll also see you've probably got Gilgal over here by the Jordan River. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offering and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people were scattering for me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and the Philistines were mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people Israel. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Whew, wow. Offering sacrifices was something that specifically the priests were to do. We have some other examples in the Old Testament of kings who decided they were going to offer sacrifices. Uzziah was one of them. This idea that you can worship God the way that you want to, a lot of that comes out of this concept of idolatry, that basically whatever you want to give God, he's happy with. and that was mostly okay could be tolerated until mount sinai when god actually gave them the law once they had the written law it was no longer acceptable right right away you see a man out picking up sticks on the sabbath and they asked god well what should we do with this man he said stone him those kinds of things weren't happening for infractions before the law was given. Now the law is given. God is expecting them to know it. And he's expecting to be respected. We talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's just the beginning of wisdom, but without the fear of the Lord, you've got no relationship. You're treating him, what is who is holy, as common. You start treating what's holy as common, and now you're in a lot of danger. It's not good for God, but it's also not good for for you. So what we see is when Samuel says to Saul, You've done foolishly, you've not kept the command of the Lord for the lord would have established your kingdom over israel forever many of us think that god had david in mind all along whenever we run into passages like this we have to ask ourselves if saul would have kept the commands of the lord it sounds to me as if his kingdom would have been established forever god would have brought the Messiah through another way. God has a lot of ways to do things. It's, I've heard someone say it's like a, a God with a 15-dimensional you know, chessboard. He's always moving things around. He has no problems working things out. See, we think it's, it's the man oh, it's because of the man was wrong. If we get the man, if we get the superman, then what is it? It's heart. It's heart. Here, very, I mean, Saul rules for 40 years. 40 years. I'm not sure where this was in his reign. It might've been early. It might've been later. But he's saying the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. What are some qualities of God's heart? This is something that we don't want to miss. We are contrasting now Saul and the people and the Levites. By the way, the Levites, I I keep using that word. and That may not be familiar to to everybody. The priests and the Levites, the tribe of Levi, all of the tribes got some land. The tribe of Levi did not get any specific territory. Although they were given cities throughout Israel to be Levitical cities, to be priestly cities, and many of them were in Ephraim. There were some in Benjamin. There were in Ephraim. In fact, uh, I mean Shiloh had the the priests that we read about last week. So the Levites were the tribes. Not all Levites were of the priests. The Aaron's sons were divided into a couple of. Tribes and the Kohenines those were the priests. One of the sons of Aaron got to be the priests. The other Levites. So, if you see someone named uh, Khan or Cohen today, that would be someone who was of the priestly tribe. They were the specific priests. Aaron and the sons of Aaron were the Kohanim. That 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 son, Khan Cohen. Uh, the other. Like Levin, Levi, Levi, uh those would be the other Levites. They were supporting the temple. They were doing other temple work, but they weren't necessarily, they were of the priestly tribe, but they weren't the priests who offered the sacrifices. A little bit of uh separation there. One of the things I wanna I wanna talk about, I started writing a little bit here on the board is we asked the question last week: um, What what happened to the sons of Samuel and Eli? What happened to these sons? What? Why do people, righteous people, have sons that go astray? There are a couple of things I want to talk about. Some just a little bit of neurochemistry. Dopamine is the chemical that gives us desire. It's it's why we want what we want. Usually from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed, you are moved, driven by your desires. Your first desire may be to go into the bathroom, but whatever it is, you're driven by your desires. Oh, I think I want something to eat, and then I want my coffee, and I want... Whatever it is that you are driven by, time to do this, time to do that. Oh, I really... uh, Really enjoy that class on Sunday morning I go to. I I can't wait to get there. Dopamine in the brain. It's the motivation chemical. So I've got here the desire for food, money, sex, power. Typical. So what we read about Eli's sons in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is that they were, they were put their fork into the pot. They were dealing with their desire for food. They wanted their food. We also see a little later on, it says, they slept with the women who came to the tent of meeting. These were married men. They were sleeping with the women. so food and sex were things that Eli's sons were drawn away by. Samuel's sons, it said, they turned aside to gain. They received bribes and perverted justice. Samuel's sons went after money and power. They were down in the Beersheba area. Remember, down in the lower, Samuel assigned them. They were to be judges. I truly believe God wanted the sons of these righteous men to be judges because Israel needed judges they needed people who would stand for righteousness that's why the people were asking for a king these judges were supposed to give justice and they were and also there was some protection because they had righteous power there is moral authority when you live righteously not only then but also now So when we have these desires, and everyone has them, they're natural desires. There's nothing, those desires are not wrong. Food, money, sex, power, none of those desires are wrong. It just depends on what you do with them. If you have an attachment to God, an attachment to the things of God, and typically if someone grows up in a household, Where there is righteousness, where the father or the mother are righteous people, are talking about the words of God, you will obey God. Now, you may do it out of love, or you may do it out of fear. Both of those can be motivators. Fear actually seems to have a bit more energy because we have a negativity bias in our brain. But there's a problem with obeying God out of fear. And that's that if things work out well, everything is fine. You stand up and tell your class that you believe in Jesus. And as long as everyone applauds you, everything's fine. The problem is, what happens if that causes you to lose your friends? What if that causes you pain or loss? And pain and loss are the factories which produce sin and rebellion. We don't think about that a lot, but pain, we think oh this is all personal choice. And it is personal choice, but pain and loss physical, social, economic. Now you've got pain, how are you going dis- to how are you going to respond to that pain? Eli's sons, Samuel's sons, I mean it's Pastors' sons, it's pretty common for them to be teased, isn't it? Oh, you're the righteous one. You know, people love to tease you. Teasing is not building up. Teasing is tearing down. And we especially love teasing in our culture. A certain kind of humor starts with an S. Sarcasm. We love to use sarcasm. Because it seems like humor. You can't really say anything about it. We're just being funny. But sarcasm, actually, this word, Sark, what does Sark mean? Flash, right? Chasm, dividing, flesh tearing. Sarcasm, contempt, eye rolling. Oh, great job. Oh, you're really righteous today, aren't you? I bet you think you're better than everyone else. It's the subtle, Sarcasm. We're trying to tear someone down. This is the number one cause of divorce. Sarcasm in a relationship, contempt for the other person. This this type of speech is going to be causing our families a lot of trouble. It was probably useful back then, uh, or it's probably a problem back then. I'm I'm assuming that Samuel's kids and Eli's kids were suffering, why would they not want to obey God? Well, they probably did initially because of their father's righteousness and because of the home they were, were grew up in. They got out here, and they started, you know, it's all good as long as things are going well. And I'm going to stop for a minute, and I want you to think what happens to you when it's not going well. Do you go to pride, and then we call it Justification, self-justification. Now you get to obey yourself. I tried God last time. I I tried it your way, God. You know, you're no good to me anymore. See, we're we're talking to God like an idol now. Uh, My good luck charm didn't work. Saul wanted to offer the sacrifice so he could have good luck in his battle, but he wasn't treating God as a relationship. That's why I'm using the word attachment here. We attach to God, who we can't see. Initially, the way we attach to our parents who we can see. If your parents are very heavy on the rules and very light on actually the relationship with you, caring about you, understanding why it's difficult for you, but still holding you to those rules. If you get sort of a legalistic uh, family or legalistic parenting, where you're punished, or you're sent away, if if you have a tantrum or you're angry, your parents aren't taking time to understand why that's so important to you. They're just giving you orders and sending you to your room. That type of parenting breaks down the attachment. A child learns very quickly, you don't have my best interest in mind. And if you don't have my best interest in mind, basically the enemy puts a lie in there and says, You're on your own. You better do it your way. You better watch out for yourself. I believe that's why anxiety is so high now among our youth. We have so many kids on anti-anxiety drugs and antidepressants, because anxiety often leads to depression. They're on their own. Parents are busy. A mother is supposed to be nursing and looking in the eyes of her child to delight in her child, and now mothers are nursing and doing what? Looking at their phones. Right? There's no bonding happening. They don't understand that this attachment now is going to affect their ability to hear from God. We're talking about hearing from God, and most of us are like, you know what, I I, I don't even know where to start. It's because we have no attachment. We have no, There's there's nothing, it's all rules, it's all on the page, there's nothing in the relationship to say, you know, even though I'm disappointed, I can talk to God about the disappointment. God, I thought standing up in class and defending you was the right thing to do, but I've lost all my friends. What do you think about that? Most of us just say, oh, pain. I'm alone. I'm abandoned. I'm on my own. I'm going down here to take care of this myself. No use obeying God. You know, that didn't get me anywhere. I tried that. I mean, how many people do we hear same today, oh, yeah, I've tried, I've tried religion, I've tried that, but we've tried it without any attachment. We've tried it without giving God the time that he needs. If we didn't attach well to our parents, and 90% of us did not, so we are at a, a disadvantage now treating God as a father, as a good father we know people who who don't even like to call God Father. It's just not, it's not a good word. You know, Jesus shows up and he says, Abba, Father. Well, most of the people in that society also had horrible fathers. Why is it, he, he says, I want you to realize that our Father God is the standard for good fathers. We're not changing the name. I want you to change the way you think about Father. He's always good, But he's a good father, he's gonna call you to do courageous things. And when you do courageous things, sometimes it's gonna cause you some pain. And come to me with that pain, and as a good father, I'm going to encourage you. I'm gonna show you that you're growing in your character, you're growing in your ability to be like me. Man is created in his image. We are supposed to be like him. If somebody looks at you, they're supposed to say, oh, the image of God, there it is. Why, why are we not there? That's why even hearing from God, can we hear from him? We're thinking, well, you know, he's, he's out there. We're down here. We're going to be talking a lot about this. and this relationship, when we have pain, it is a, we become idle factories, rebellion. We go to, and as soon as you start pleasing yourself, guess what? It feels good. Temporary game. Good food. Money comes in. Those guys in Beersheba, they probably went down, Samuel's kids, and some wealthy landowner said, uh, hey, you, uh, you know, why don't I let you marry one of my daughters? Oh, that's a great idea. I think I think I will. Oh, and then, hey, I've got this case coming up. I wonder if you could, you know, throw the judgment my way. You see how subtly... This happens, and they were a good distance from their father in 'er Beersheba, and next thing you know, they were in, they were making money, they had probably power, because, but they lost their reputation, they lost God's design. We get temporary gain. Our money, our sex, our affairs, our power. It says sin feels good for a season. But all this time, you're getting further and further detached and further devalued and getting away from the design that God had for you. Yes? How do we know if we listen to God's words that he had it for the horse to bow? What would add? What well, you told me to do? Exactly what I wanted. to do. Great question. The question is, when we're listening to the words of God, we're trying to hear God's voice, how do we know if it's God's word or not? Usually when I hear... I hear exactly what I want to do. Yes, you're talking about your dopamine. When we are dopamine driven, when there's, a, when there's a relationship, when it's a job, when there's money on the line, typically I need to get other people to listen with me and for me who are not going to be hijacked by my dopamine desire. I really want to marry this woman. I know she's not a believer, but, but I think she'll become one soon. She's so beautiful. I really want to take that job. I know I'm going to be traveling a little more, but they're, they're offering me double my salary. I got young kids, but you know, they're going to offer me, a, I'm going to be a full professor if I go there. Titles. You see how, you see how I, I'm not, typically we don't even ask anybody. We don't even listen to God. We make the decision on logic. Getting people to listen with you and for you. Naomi and I typically do this. In fact, uh, especially people in the medical field, they may be with a university and the universities now, it's, it's becoming very difficult to practice medicine in a godly way in a university. It's harder and harder. Am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to stay? Well, you could look at scripture and you could find, you could find scriptures for both of those. In your specific case, how do we apply the word of God? And that's where we need people around us, people of God, people who are living in a righteous way, who are not driven by their dopamine desires because they're just going to put their thoughts and their template over you and say, this is what, this is what I would do. You don't want that. Listening prayer. So oftentimes, Naomi and I do something, we call it listening prayer, where we will sit, we will take 15, 20 minutes, we will have a question, somebody's come, they have a boyfriend, whatever, that they're not sure about, um, and we will do listening prayer. And, And with that listening prayer, we'll listen to God. First of all, we create some silence for God. I think, in fact, I know, he's honored that we would actually Believe that he would want to speak to us Most of us say no. No, I, I got it. I got it or I'll call you know I'll call the pastor see what he thinks He wants to speak to each one of us. It's always good to get godly counsel. That's fine and That's why people are coming to us, but I don't always know I don't always know it, Just with my human wisdom my gut feeling so I want to give God some time I'm going to sit there for 10 or 15 minutes sometimes longer Let's just listen to God and see what he says. These are your choices. This is, what you're, this is what you want to decide. And we look for passages of scripture. We look for verses. We look for a picture that we're getting. And we tell the person, this is, this is what we're getting. Does it resonate with you? Because I also don't know if it's just me putting my template over their life and trying to live my life through them. So, if the people who are all listening in that situation are all getting the same thing, and we also write it down, it's just it's it, we and then we basically tear off the page and we give it to them and saying this, this these are some verses, these are some passages you should read. So I'm giving them words, and it's up to them to judge. Right, we're not supposed to despise prophetic words or prophetic utterances or anything where someone believes they're hearing the verse, the word of the Lord for us. But we're also not supposed to accept everything somebody says. This is the word of God for you. You're supposed to marry so-and-so. I had girls come up to me before I married saying, you know, God told me that you're going to marry me. Right? Very, we have to be very cautious. And for good reason. Because at any time there's power, when you say God is speaking, there's power for abuse. The history of the church, power, power for abuse, doesn't mean there's no power. It means we need righteous people using it righteously, using it well, and then giving the people the opportunity to make their own decision, not saying this is what you should do, you're supposed to leave your job, you know, I'm not running your life, I'm giving you the information, Uh, and many times people, it's too risky, they don't want to go God's way. God's way often leads to pain, at least initially. He's testing us. He allows us to go through this and says, now come back to me, like a kid who skins their knee. I will grieve with you over the loss you just found out that the people you thought were your friends are not your friends. Happened to Moses, right? People hated Moses starting out. First thing that happened is that They had to make bricks without straw. Wait a minute, God, I was speaking for you. Now everyone hates me. What's going on? You know, these are the kinds of stories we need to know so that we can talk to people about what walking with God looks like. It's not a rose garden. It's a relational, ultimately, you're going to end up higher and higher, whereas going this way, you're going to end up lower and lower, farther and farther from your design. I mean, the reason Samuel was so upset when he said, we don't want your sons to judge his legacy. Now, it's interesting that Samuel's grandsons ended up singing in David's choir. So, he didn't, so sometimes it skips a generation. But Samuel realized the pain that his sons were not following God. I don't know why exactly, but it could be be because their attachment to Samuel, he was an itinerant minister, itinerant judge. He traveled. Uh Samuel also had probably a fathering experience that was not ideal. He was given up as soon as he was, oh, I'm going way over. But he's given up as soon as he was weaned, and then he was raised by Eli, and I'm not sure that Eli had a lot of fathering in him. He was blind. So Samuel was sort of an orphan but Samuel did end up with a a very positive attachment to God. It appears he was unable to transfer that to his kids, and I'll just finish there. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want us to attach to you in a positive, powerful, beautiful way. Lord, we want to be like you. you. You designed us in your image to be like you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of anything in any way that we're not like you so that we can correct that blessing on those who've come those listening to my voice in jesus name amen